This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 637. And the quote of the day is, consistency is more important than perfection. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 637, and today is a special day. Today, November 1st, is the eight-year anniversary of the first episode of this podcast that I ever released. And when I released the first couple episodes, no one listened to the podcast. 10 people, 12 people. When I say no one, I don't mean that the the people were insignificant. I mean, the numbers were insignificant. Literally, some episodes when I first started had like 18 listens, 20 listens. Now, tens of thousands of people listen. And it it blows my mind every time I look at the numbers, every time I look at how far this podcast has come. But what's more mind-blowing to me is the people I've met not just the people I've had on the podcast, but all of you, emails and texts. I mean, there, I've, I've gained legitimate friends out of this podcast that I talk to all the time and some I talk to more frequently than others, but the emails and the texts and, and the messages on social media, that absolutely blows my mind. And I'm so thankful just, just from that. And, but not only that, I've, I've gotten to build this this podcast over these eight years and and have conversations with the greatest drummers in the world and and leave this for people to listen to hopefully forever. So this is something that will never go away. And the the beginning of this, the quote was talking about consistency and Justin who edits the podcast and big shout out to Justin and Catherine and Tomas. Like I would not be able to do this podcast without them. And so Justin and I always talk about the streak and from November 1st of 2013, we released a podcast episode every single Monday. And the only Mondays that we missed were the Monday after NAM, which we did purposely and actually didn't miss a- an episode until about two months ago and an un- you know, an unforeseen uh, circumstance, but we missed an episode and we're like, all right, the streak is over. But I think it's important just to, to talk about the consistency because if you're building something now, whether it be a fan base or, you know, when you're out, you're trying to build a band out there on the road or you're trying to build a YouTube channel or followers or, or whatever the case may be, just remember that consistency is far more important than perfection and consistency always wins out and you will get better at recording or you will get better at playing or you will get better at whatever it is that you're doing. Consistency will make you so much better. And so with this being the anniversary, I thought it would be cool to look back at, so the first three episodes that I did were Daniel Glass, Scott Mercado of Candlebox, and James Gadson. So I'm, this, is, this is the James Gadson episode, and I want you to listen to it for a couple reasons. One, I was horrible. I'm surprised. I, I know why no one was listening uh, to these episodes, because I was not good at it. But I believe that over time, I've gotten a lot better at it, and I think that it's important to look at the people who you look up to that are doing something that you want to be doing and realize that they started exactly where I did. They started 
not knowing what they were doing, you know, not understanding how to do it the best way, not perfecting their craft or anything like that. But if you're consistent with it and you have a passion for it and and you're, you know, dedicated to putting out great stuff, I think that people will start to pay attention. And I want to thank all of you. If you've listened to one episode, every episode or anywhere in between, I cannot thank you enough for the ongoing support. Thank you to all the great brands who have supported this podcast for so long. And thank you to the people who I've actually met and invited me to shows and invited me to come to your house if I'm ever visiting your town or invited me to come to your town and you would show me around. And I I appreciate all of those things. And without that, without this community, this podcast would never be as successful as it is and would never be as fulfilling as it is for me to do it. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And let's get into this episode with the great James Gadsden. Thank you so much for being on the show. It really means a lot to me. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm flattered. So you grew up, um, you're originally from Kansas City, Missouri, right? Yes, sir. So now, kind of how did you, how did you get into, into playing? Well, I, I, uh, my father was a drummer. He okay. played with Jay McShann and a lot of the pre, uh, the big band people, uh, uh, but I, uh, didn't, I wasn't really interested in the drums in a way of speaking. I mean, I kind of wanted to play them, but then I didn't, I, I was a doo-wop. I, I love the doo-wop singing. And, right. uh, it was a famous drummer by the name of Jimmy Lovelace. See, my father didn't want me to play his drum. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Lovelace, uh, showed me a set of drums for five hours. He had gotten a new set. He later on with came to be pretty prominent jazz drummer. He played with West Montgomery before he got out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I, I I kept them for about six months and I sold them for $7. So I made $2 <laughs> profit. And uh, I was still in the doo-wop. We had a group uh, called The Carpets. You know, I think we made it. I made a record when I was about 14 years old. We were on oh, wow. a label called Federal, the same label that James Brown was on when he did please, 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 and all that. My mother wouldn't let me, let me go on the road, which was a great thing now that I see that as young as I was, I probably wouldn't even be here today. But <laughs> Getting too much trouble. Right. Well, yeah, that, and then I was so square. Ain't, ain't no telling what might have happened. But anyway, right. I uh, do-wopped and do-wopped, and I went into the air armed service. I went into the Air Force. And uh, my brother, unbeknown to me, had a group. He, he started a band. I didn't even, he was a guitar. He, I, he didn't even play guitar when I went in the service. And uh, I, the whole time I was in the service, I was in the Air Force for four years. And I, I had, you know, sung some group with a couple of singing groups in there. And we we went to, a, we had a group called the Five Marcells. And we went mm-hmm. 
almost to the top of one of the guys accused another guy of messing with his wife, which wasn't true. I think he just wanted oh, to get man. out of it and it killed us. They had what they call the tops of the pops and we were going to win that one. And, um, I think even one group, I can't think the pastels or even the guys or something come go with me. I think they won it, but we don't, we would have won. And so that was a pretty, you know, kind of hurt everybody. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I got out of the Air Force, and my brother had this group. So he would let me kind of be the front man. You know, I sang stuff, and I could play three cars on the piano. Right. So I was kind of like the front man. And the bass player left, and the drum, the drummer was a bass player. He could play bass. So that left me with the drums. I was 21 years old. Now, I had, I had played a little... Uh, you know, snare stuff for the American Legion marching band. It wasn't that much, but I couldn't play a set of drums for nothing. Right. And so, oh, wow. so uh, you got started pretty late then. Yeah, I started when I was 21. So uh, <clears throat> I practiced and practiced and halfway got it together. And so, what kind? Of, what, so, what kind of stuff were you practicing? Was it more? Well, I was kind of practice. Or, you know, people would show me. I was like the paradiddles, and uh, you know, they had um, the different rudiments out at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't hear too much about them now because people got you know they. It's a whole other thing that they're doing. But um, I was trying to do that, uh, and people, you know, they would show me. Guys would show me certain things. They didn't show me too much, but they would show me certain things. Mm-hmm. And well, so, so what did I guess a lot of people out there um, are kind of wondering, you know, where your where your feel came from because your your feel is is absolutely amazing. Um, okay, well, what happened was I became a jazz drummer. You know, I mm-hmm. started playing. I got tired of going on the road. I got a book coming out too, so but so we just skipped it, you know. But I got. You know, I got tired of kind of going up and down the road and doing the chitlin thing, even though what mm-hmm. I was getting into would, would have been was going to be the same thing. I still, so I wanted to stay home. So I, um, at first, the guy that used to work with my father, he he had a, a it was it would be me and him it was like a duo. He hired me, and I couldn't even play drums, but he taught me how to <laughs> sing all the standards and stuff. So I did that right. for a couple of years, and I learned the standards, which was good. But then I graduated to playing with the organ trios. Mm-hmm. Now, by the name of Frank Edwards gave me a chance to, to get in there and, and play. Because I, I always liked jazz. And so, mm-hmm. so, like, what organ players were you playing with? Well, you know, a lot of the local guys. Now, I, mm-hmm. I sit in with Jimmy uh, McGriff. Uh, um, a, lot of, a lot of different guys. You know, like Jimmy Smith or any of those cats? Yeah, I mean, and so... But, you know, a lot of different, when they would come to town, you get to sit in with them. But anyway, I, I, I started doing the organ trio thing, and um, between that and I had, one of my brothers, what really uh, got me, we went to, we were in, a, I was in his band, and we went down south. And the, this promoter had us to come down south. We thought it was going to be great, but he tricked us and had us, uh, posing as Otis Redding and William Bell, we'd get run out of a lot of the towns. You know, it was pretty rough, you know. 
Oh man! Uh, so I didn't like that. So I they they went back to Kansas City and I stayed, and I got a gig with Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard of them or not. He was the guy that originated the twist. Really? Right. Yeah. He's the one that discovered James Brown. Actually, he was the one that brought James Brown to to that to the to the King label. Really? Yeah. Huh. But I got a, so I got a job with them, and that's why I got that shuffles, learning how to play the shuffles and stuff. I didn't even wow. have a hi hat. I had a, a rag tom, a, a bass drum, a ride cymbal, and. Um, a snare. That's and no hi hat. No hi hat. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I got that. You know, I I, I played with them for about a, I guess a year and a half, a year or two. And uh, I met a lot of people. I got to meet Sam Cook and a lot of different people on the road. You know, it was, it was great. But but, awesome. I, but they would travel. So the traveling was worse than the ones that I was doing with my brother. Like we'd be in Los Angeles today. And they'd have to be in Little Rock, Arkansas tomorrow night by car. Right, right. And so we we would barely make it. So I, I didn't like And barely sleeping, I'm sure. Right. Oh, well, no, they called me the Cobra because I wouldn't sleep. You know, I don't, I'm watching everybody because they would be kind of, they would be smoking weed and doing 120 miles an hour. And I, I could never sleep, you know. So they called me the Cobra. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, it got tedious. I met, that's where I met Fred Wesley. He'd just gotten out of college and he was with Frank Bell at midnight before he got with James Brown. Oh, okay. And, um, I, that's when I, you know, I came back home and I played with my brothers for a minute, but then I got into the organ trio and I started really getting into the cold train stuff and all. I got, I was in with the cold train stuff was when I was with the midnight because they, we would get to play some of the cold train, uh, songs before they would come out, you know, we study all mm-hmm. day. So I, it kind of, they kind of had me leaning towards the jazz. So when I came back home, I was fortunate enough to get a, you know, job playing with the organ trios. Mm-hmm. And I got that down and, and I was enjoying that. And some friends of mine were on the Dean Martin show out here in Los Angeles. And I thought they had made the big times, and they said, "Come on out! I like to starve to death, you know." Right. And I couldn't, I couldn't work with them because I couldn't play their songs. You know, right. I couldn't play. So, uh, I'm, I, upon coming out here, I had been to California a couple of times with the organ trio thing, the organ quartet thing. I met a gentleman by the name of John Boudreaux who had played on a lot of the records, hit records in New Orleans. He had moved out mm-hmm. here, but he was the jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. And so I met him one night, and I got his number, and I forgot he had, I had his number. So after I was out here for a while, I went and, you know, I found his number, and I called him. He said, man, I'll get you a gig. So he got me a gig with Charles Wright, who was at that time a concession player. He played the chinks, and he was left-handed. Oh, okay. So huh. the chinks sounded different because he played them upside down, played the guitar upside down, as they call it. Uh, so... He fired me about five times because I couldn't play no R&B. <laughs> and so I don't know if you get nobody else. So the stuff that you were playing before was, wasn't really backbeat stuff. It was all straight ahead stuff. Right, straight ahead stuff. I might play a pattern one time and that was it. I couldn't think like that. I, you know? <laughs> and I couldn't hear it. I mean, if I listened to a record, I couldn't tell you what it was for nothing. For some reason or another, I was somewhere else. <laughs> so he hired me. 
he said, you know, he hired me for the fifth time, and he said, hey, just keep time. Don't play no fields, because he really <laughs> does the, the New Orleans drummer. So he said, just keep time. Don't play no fields. So he had me to play four on the floor and, the, and four on the hi-hat and four on the snare. I had never done mm-hmm. nothing like that before. It was pretty boring. But, I, you know, I needed to try to, to work. And, and he was paying $12 a night. You know, he was making mm-hmm. a lot of money, but that's why it was a strip club that was off Thursdays and we worked in there. So it was, you know, it was more than I was making. I would have to get on the bus sometimes with my drums and, right, right. and go. But uh, <clears throat> I got, I, I kind of got this hang of playing those forward. I think I must have did it for about eight months. <laughs> but I, I dubbed the 16th notes. You uh-huh. know, I dubbed those. I mean, for some reason or another, it's, it's the fours just seem boring. So mm-hmm. as I'm I'm developing into an R&B, R&B drummer, I, I wanted to play the 16 notes because the fours, man, it just see, it ain't, ain't nothing moving. Right. So, so now you, were you hearing 16th notes when you're playing that stuff? Or are you hearing quarter notes when you're? Playing? I was hearing. I was hearing. I was. I was barely making the quarter notes. I'm hearing 16. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't right. play them, but I'm hearing them. You know. Right. Right. So. I played, you know, I, I, I started started developing my own style. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the first record I made with the Walk Band, which was a hit, was called Do Your Thing. If you listen to that, mm-hmm. you can tell it's very, it's kind of free. It was a right. gold record. It's kind of, you know. But uh, Express Yourself, when the 16th notes really started making a difference. Right. You know, and then I started using them and then, uh, I started experimenting, and then when I got to, you know, I started working with Bill Withers, and uh, that I did use me. I made that 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 uh beat up and kissing my love, you you know, uh, kissing my it's love. My favorite groove of all time, by the way, kissing my love. Kissing my love was a shuffle. It was a shuffle, uh-huh. and for some reason or another, it wasn't working in the studio, and that was the last song that we played for that day, and so I came up with that. You know, that beat. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, you know. Yeah, let's, can we talk about that 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 groove for a minute? Yeah. No. So, it, you're playing 16th notes, but it's like a... It's like a shuffle it, on top, if you know. It's just, yeah, oh, like, a, like a swung, like a swung, swung 16th note. Right, because right. that was the rhythm that, when I'm kissing my love, you know, it was kind of, I guess he kind of wanted a shuffle thing or whatever, you know. Right, right. So it wasn't working for some reason or another. Uh, uh, I get to be the the, the, uh, the I guess oh, when I'm kissing my love. I think that uh, well, I'm not gonna go into, but um, it wasn't working. <laughs> we could go into it if you want to. Well, I, the the way that he was singing it, it was gonna almost be like a six four at certain mm-hmm. points. So we couldn't deal with that. I came up with the bop, do bop, bop, you know, and uh, right, right. I, I, you know, as we played it, I refined it, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, there's some more stuff about that, but I'm not going to tell it because I'm writing a book right now. Okay, you know, I can appreciate that. You know, and but uh, I started doing, you know, the 16th note thing and. Uh, it kind of developed in, you know, I guess it developed into my style. 
Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, by me under, understanding, you know, I did a lot of Dyke and the Blazer stuff. That too much of that, that wasn't, well, some of it was 16 notes. Stuff, but right. a lot of it wasn't. So when did you, when did you start playing with Dyke and the Blazers? Well, I, I, I uh, Ray Jackson, who was uh, a trombonist and he played the keyboards with Bill Withers, uh, mm-hmm. was in the Watson 103rd Street Rhythm Band. Uh, Al McKay, the guitar player, was in there before he went with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Sammy, Day- Sammy Davis Jr. Um, he he and Ray were high school friends, so he bought Ray. And Al was the drummer. But Al used to play drums while I was stand up and sing. But Charles didn't. Oh, really? Yeah, Charles didn't like that. I was getting the house sometimes. <laughs> he just didn't like it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, Ray was an arranger, so he would get these dates. Man, you want to make a date? I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to make a date. You know, by that time, mm-hmm. I could do that. I mean, when I came out here, from time to time, people would call me for sessions. And before I had got my R&B chops together, man, they didn't even pay me because it was awful. You know, I think the first 12 <laughs> I did was awful. So. <laughs> so when would you? when did you start to really you know, get a lot of calls for session and really start to be, um, 1972, 1972, about 1972. I started doing some, a lot of Motown things. Contractor one day I met him. Uh, I was at the record plant at that time. The famous record plant is not, it's not any longer here. It was on third street. They have a record plant now, but it's it's not the same. This was the original record plant where all this stuff went down at, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, man, we, I've been looking for you for two years. Can you read? I said, yeah, I was lying. So, <laughs> but I didn't think he would call me. So he still called right. me for these Motown dates. And uh, when I, wa- I walked in there, man, and I saw Joe Sample and Wilton Felder. And, uh, man, I just saw, I mean, some of the top people that I'd be reading about on these albums. I was scared to death. And they'd have their music written out. And they would have the hi-hat parts written out, all the different times, everything was written out. And um, I don't know how I got through it, but I did. But what I started doing, I would go home every day and study all the rest of the evening and the morning. And, and, and you know, and, and and eventually I got it together, you know. Right, right. But, uh, so you couldn't read at all when you when you started going in there or just? Just not very well. I couldn't read drum music. I might be able to right. read a little trumpet music, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, by the grace of God, I've been blessed. You know, that's the, that's the truth about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of like a fake it, fake it till you make it. Huh? I said sort of like a fake it till you make it mentality. Well, I wasn't faking it because the producers knew what they wanted over there, and I thought that they could. Some of them, I thought that they could read. And so when I'd be uh-huh. studying a lot of times, I'd get a big headache because what they would tell me was on the paper, you know. And I, you know, <laughs> until I finally started relaxing, I'd get a big headache because I thought they, I said, well, maybe what they tell me, man, last, I want you to play this, man. So I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I said, oh my God, this don't look like what I was studying. <laughs> but right. eventually I got it, you know, I got it together. And uh, James Carmichael, who was an arranger who did a lot of, Arranging and producing, if you do producing, I know Rich and a lot of people. He said, "Yeah, we, let's keep him because he has good timing." Mm-hmm. You know, so that was in my favor. And so I, 
I, I got it, I, you know, I studied and I got it together. And uh, then I started, you know, I did a lot of Motown stuff. Then I started getting calls besides the Motown stuff for, for, you know, a lot of the other things, too. Right. So, so back to the um, the Dyke and the Blazers stuff. So that I've heard a couple of different stories about how that band kind of got put together. Um, and they were originally with the OJs, right? See, I don't know. I never really played with the band. I did the studio work. Okay. But, you know, okay. they, they might have been with the OJs, you know. But Dyke mm-hmm. came in from Phoenix, and um, I didn't play on Funky Broadway. That was probably oh, the didn't? band. No, I didn't play on Funky But I played on okay. all the rest of them, Little Woman Be a Woman, We Got More Soul, all the other right, stuff. Right, right, right. You know. I'm trying, I think, was uh, was Shotgun Slim and all that stuff? That was on Funky Broadway, too, wasn't it? Well, I played on that, so. Oh, you played on, on Shotgun, Shotgun Slim? Yeah. Oh, nice. The, I love that, too. The first too. one that I played on was called Funky Walk. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it was a hit record. You know, I played on it. I mean, I was starting to get my chops together, the R&B stuff. And we played right. that, and Art LeBeau loved it. He said, man, let's do a part two. You know, I said, well, man, you know, I felt kind of good because I wasn't messing up like I always would, you know. <laughs> right, right. And it came out, and I, I, I didn't hear it. it. They probably played it on the radio, but I didn't hear it, so I didn't know. So he called us again. He called me again for the session. He said, man, you know, that record did pretty good. I right. said, oh, and then I found out they were playing it in my hometown and everywhere. You know, I didn't. I didn't oh, really? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Well, there's about uh, there's about seven different funky Broadways, isn't there? Yeah. Well, I, well Dyke was the originator. And then I right. think Pickett had the, the gold record on it. Pickett had the big mm-hmm. one. No, but I mean, even, even Dyke did the, he had... Uh, Funky Broadway, Funky Broadway Part Two, and then there's uh, there's a couple different versions on on some of those records that I've heard. Oh, okay. That he has all kinds of different stuff going on, but so you just did all the studio work, never went on tour with him, right? No, I never. Went, I almost went on tour with him, mm-hmm. but I didn't. No. Right. So how did you get hooked up with uh, with Bill Withers? Well, I met Bill Withers through Charles Wright. Bill Withers used to come by. I think Charles Wright might have managed him for a couple of weeks. And he'd come by and I met Bill, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in the studio the first time with an upright bass player, the three sounds of the upright bass player. I can't think of his name. It, and didn't nothing happen. It wasn't, it wasn't, didn't nothing go down. I mean, it was, didn't nobody know what they was doing. No. You know, so we did that and we kind of stayed in touch. And I think Ray Jackson, who I mentioned earlier, was working with Bill all the time before he did uh, Ain't No Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I heard, uh, for the, uh, Ain't No Sunshine was a big hit and all that. And a lot of people think I played on that because they see me on the, a lot of the you know videos and stuff. But I didn't mm-hmm. play on that. I think that was uh, the famous drummer from Stax, uh, who played on that because Booker T. Jones produced that album. Okay. And, okay. and he got busy uh, doing Willie Nelson's Stardust album when they wanted him to do the second album. And so we did, we did that ourselves. You know, Bill came, you know, he'd come over to my house and we rehearsed in the garage and we got, right. we got it down. And we did the second album, you know. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. So I, I did about three albums with him. 
If you're looking for a microphone that gets really low, look no further than the Shure Beta 52A. This microphone is specially designed for all kinds of bass, from kick drums to bass guitar. It's also amazing for using on stage as well. It has a super cardioid pickup, so that limits interference from other onstage sound sources, and it also reduces feedback. It's great for the studio too. It excels on low frequency sound sources. And like every Shure microphone, it's built like a tank. And you can get this microphone at Sweetwater.com. Sweetwater.com is my favorite site to buy gear for numerous reasons. One, I've been dealing with them for probably 20 some years. They have fast free shipping. They have a two-year warranty on everything that they sell. They have US-based tech support. You can get a dedicated sales rep to help you make the proper purchases to make sure you're getting the right gear. So please do yourself a favor. Check out the Shure Beta 52A and get it at Sweetwater.com. Get ready for the new Promark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with ProMatch. Only ProMatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, Promark shows its commitment to the environment with Play, Plant, Preserve. Promark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play Promark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. Analog sound for a digital world is finally here. Sonar has transformed the original sonar sound look and feel of the 50s, 60s, and 70s drums into a contemporary concept called the Sonar Vintage Series. Complete with an updated teardrop lug design, round bearing edges for warm, deep, low-end tone, a reissue of the classic iron-shaped bass drum bracket, and exciting finishes, the Sonar Vintage Series is the obvious choice for anyone who has one eye on the past and one eye on the future. For more information, visit sonar.com. So then, I guess I, uh, I'm, some of this may be, may or may not be in your book. So whatever you know, we bring up that you want to. Well, it's going to be in the book. I just didn't go into a lot of detail. Sure. A lot of people going to sure. be mad, you know, because I'm going to tell the <laughs> truth about it. Right. <laughs> well, I, the whole, I mean, the whole thing with, with, uh, with Bill just kind of retiring pretty early. Um, do you, I mean, do you know, I'm sure that you know well, what I happened left, there. I left to do sessions. What I, what he mentioned one day, he, he mentioned one day, he said, man, all you players in goddamn 16 notes on everything. So I got threatened. <laughs> you know, I said, well, hey, the man, the 16 notes was making the hits. I think right. I think he wanted to make a change anyway from the whole band, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he said, "Well, man, all you playing them goddamn sixteen notes, and I didn't get no writers off of nothing. I thought I should have got something for use me and especially kissing my love, you know, because right. everybody else in the band got something, but I didn't get nothing." He told me, really? "Come on up to the house one one day, and we'll write something here." So 
you know, I guess my con- contribution wasn't great enough, you know, or whatever it was. But uh, so that was just like a a, a work for hire kind of thing, and that was it. Well, that's I, I thought we was all cool, but <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't realize that. I I didn't. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't sure how close you two were. Well, or, I, we, um, you know, I was. I thought. You know, we was. We were. We never had an argument as as of today. Hmm. You know, I mean, you know, but that's just. I just didn't get what I thought I should have gotten. You know that right. too. Well, that's one of the reasons why. I, when I left, you know, and you say, "Well, hey man, everything you, everything you playing got them goddamn sixteen notes in there." So you know that's kind of sh- like a needle sticks in you. You know, kind of shit. Right. So I. Well, I would say everything that I'm playing is a hit. So. So I said, "Well, you know what? Let me try to get me something going somewhere." Right. So, and he was kind of glad to see me go. I think in a way. Hmm. But uh, so that's. You know, I started working for the Motown, and I was able to to hang, you know, with Stan. Right. And turn, you know, turn because Motown was they were still playing a lot of stuff in fours. They, you know, my right. fours were a little different than the Detroit fours, but I played a lot of hits with them too. You know. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the difference between the two, like the Detroit four versus? Well, they were more relaxed. I mean, this was they were playing. I mean, here I am trying to copy them, and this was right. their thing. You know what I'm saying? And when I mm-hmm. saw Motown, when I saw uh, uh, the Funk Brothers uh, movie <laughs> and saw those people playing, I realized that I was nowhere close to what they were doing. Right. You know, but I, I, you know, I was just blessed that what I did was the. Uh, Do you mean skill wise or, or style wise? Style wise, I mean, I do the same I do the same feels and stuff that they did because the Motown had a kind of standard. They wanted to stick to certain things at, at one time. Don't do it, right. you know. Because I say, bop, I do, I do, bop. They said, no, don't play that feel. Please don't stick it at mm-hmm. them, don't, don't stick it down, right. And so, <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I got to where I, you know, I would do that. And um, when I when I heard how relaxed that they played this stuff when I saw the movie, then I knew that, you know, it was a whole, it was a whole different thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but I, so then go ahead. But I mean, you know, I was playing, you know, I figured when I played the fours that I was playing them, you know, I'm, I'm figuring I'm copying them, but my thing was different. You were, you were a little bit more ahead of the beat. Uh, no, I wasn't ahead of the beat or nothing. I was, we was on the same beat. It's just the feel that they had was different than the feel that I played. I might have played right. a little more aggressive mm-hmm. on the beat, but maybe a little more aggressive than they played because they was just relaxed. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And they had two drummers a lot of times, too. Right. But anyway, it was great, you know, for me to be doing... You know, I, I had, you know, when I came out here, man, you know, it was kind of rough for me. I had jobs for a minute. I did a lot of, you know, different jobs. I tried the post office and a lot of other places. And uh, I just, you know, I, I had almost given up. I said, well, man, if I hear myself on the radio, then I'll be happy. Right. You know, but I mean, hey, I got, Lord bless me. And, you know, I, I hear myself on the radio. All the time now. Right, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, so that was, you know, because I, I had no idea. I was a singer. I was a singer also. <clears throat> and that's another story. You know, I, the, the, 
you know, the watch man thing, I sang a song called Love Land that was a big record. Oh, okay. I never knew that. It, yeah, it was a big record. It was a big record. It was number two pop, I think. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I'll go into that on the book, on the book culture. You know, it's going to be some people's going to be, a lot of people going to be mad when I tell about a lot of situations that went down, you know. Right. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I sang that and uh, it was a cold situation. But, uh, you know, I thought that well, when I joined the Watch Band, I, this Charles, I said, "Well, man, you know, I, I, uh, I sang too." So I said, "Man, I'm gonna have to sing some of the songs." Oh, well, man, you can sing the songs, but some of the songs. But I don't think he really wanted me to sing. No, you know. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, that's that. And but uh, I, uh, you know, hey, I've got. I was blessed, and I started getting busy playing. Uh, the sessions and stuff. And I started experimenting and doing other things, you know, other styles besides the 16 notes and a lot of mm-hmm. different things. And so it was, it's been, you know, hey, I just did a thing with Lady Gondon last week. One song. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that to see, you know, I, I get to play with a lot of the younger people. You know, I've done Beck stuff. I've done uh, Lisa Del Rey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the Ziggy. Uh, so I've been blessed, you know, because somewhere they enjoy what I, you know, somebody took note and enjoyed what my contribution to the music business was. Well, it's and so that's it's a blessing to me, you know. Well, I think we're all blessed to, you know, to to have you to hear you play on all these records, and uh, you know, like I said earlier, you've definitely influenced a, a ton of people, um, playing wise you know, music wise, everything. Uh, so, and the, the real thing that, that really sticks out, I think that everybody, when your name comes up is that feel that we were, okay. that we were talking about earlier. Well, I just put, I try to put myself, everything that I do, I try to put, you know, me into it to try to make it feel a certain way. And then by me mm-hmm. being a singer, I understand, you know, I kind of know, feel how a singer would feel the way that they breathe in the phrase, you know. Mm-hmm. So I uh, just like, you know, the feel good thing. I just like for things to feel good. Yeah. Well, they do when you play, man. Well, that's a blessing, you know. I'm mean, <laughs> all, all, you know, the God, you know, because that's a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that is truly what that is. Absolutely. So how do you feel about the stuff that the, the music that's out there now? Well, it's all music. I mean, what can you say? I mean, you know, uh, they had before they had Count Basie and they had a lot of different other people. I mean, you know, things, uh, it's not as musical because of, uh, you got people making music that a lot of times are not really, uh, musicians, you know, they didn't mm-hmm. study, you know, it's a different thing. Some of it is, you know, everybody, I, I like all music. I like all of it because, I mean, I had to yodel and play country stuff when I was in Kansas City. So all of it's good right. for me, the, the pop stuff mm-hmm. and everything else. You know, some of it, you know, it's just different. You, you know, the time, it goes with the time, you know. Right. The sampling thing, I mean, now that to me is, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't get what, you know, I think that the way that they do a lot of the musicians, 
they pay us on a work for hire basis for that, and and they sampling the meat of the record. You know, they got you thinking, well, hey, you're just a musician, but the samplers are making all the money. You know, right? And the writers don't. The writers won't give. I think they try to put a law in where they would where where the the musicians would get something when they played on the radio, but the writers didn't want that to happen. Overseas, they do it. You know, mm-hmm. different other countries. So that's the only thing that I, I, I look at it. I think that that's not fair at all, you know. And I mean, how many, you know, how many of your drum tracks do you think have been sampled? Oh, man, I, I wouldn't even know. I used to I, I used to hear them every, all day. I could hear me on almost <laughs> yeah. every record at one time. You know, I used to hear right. that, you know. So, was it mostly hip hop guys sampling it, or is it? Yeah, the hip hop guys and uh, you know the rappers, and everybody else. Right. Oh, uh, who who are using the samples? You know. Hmm. Hmm. Any any like recent tunes that you can think of off the top of your head? No, but it's, I'm sure there's some out there. Right. Just, you know, I can't think of who it is, but you know what can you say? I mean. I had gotten some calls from different publishers that wanted me to work with the rappers. But the thing about it was they would, they just wanted to pay me for work for hire when another rapper can come in with a drum machine even and and come in with a beat and he'll get a piece of the action. They didn't want to pay me like that. I told them, I said, well, hey, if I come in and I make up something, well, well, no, they didn't want to hear that. So I, I thought that wasn't cool. That's not cool at all. No. I mean, what's the difference if you if you're programming it or or if you're playing it? I think you should get more if you're actually playing it. But they didn't want to do that, so I said, "Well, okay, I, I ain't coming in." <laughs> yeah, well, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So, is it is it is it flattering that that you're getting sampled, or does it does it really well, it's, uh, it, it's, upset? It's good you? and it's bad. I mean, it's it's good in one way because hey, somebody liked what I did, but in other. But somebody else is making the money for it. Right. So, right. And I can see that double edged sword yeah, kind of thing. Right. So that's that's what, you know what can you say? You know. And I guess, you know, there's tons and tons of guys out there that are that are kind of going through the same thing that you are oh, with all, yeah, these, I'm sure. with all the new tunes and and getting sampled. Right. And uh I was actually talking to to uh, Daniel Glass uh, last week, and he was talking about how all the a lot of the uh, a lot of the session guys um, from Motown and and even before that um, just kind of got you know a little bit taken advantage of on the on the session side of things. Yeah, and these and these guys were you know putting out hit records, and and these guys were playing drums on them, and sometimes they didn't even get credit for them, let alone that's true. Yeah, they didn't get a lot of time. They didn't get a you know, nobody knew who was playing. I mean, the whole Motown, I didn't find out who was playing on the Motown sessions until I was in the watch band. And, you know, I was starting, I was in the music business at the time. And so I started finding out who was playing. I found out James Jamerson, famous bass player. You know, I, right, right, right. I saw him in Detroit. You know, he was working in the club. I mean, he was still making records. But, uh, you know, we didn't know who it was, you know. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, a lot of times when you were cutting the tracks, you didn't even know who the artist was? Well, and, you know, and a lot of times we didn't know who the artist was. In Motown, no, you didn't know. 
And why did why did they do that? Do you know? Well, or? I don't know. I think that sometimes I would cut two and three versions, different producers. Mm-hmm. You know, and they would you know because of my they might use the song might be used on they couldn't you know the song might be used on any other artist. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that you know. So they were kind of more or less creating like a library of of grooves and tunes and stuff that they could use for whoever they wanted. Well, I, I can't say what they were doing. I don't know, but right. But I know that a lot of times, you know, you never, you know, when I heard it on the radio, then I knew who it was. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you would know, well, this is for the Jacksons or this is for such and such a person. You know, right. But a lot of times you didn't know. Right, right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So who's the who's the the best artist that you played with? The best? Yeah, who who did you enjoy playing with the most? Oh, I man. Say. I don't know. I couldn't really <laughs> say. I mean, you know, all you know, all of them I had a good time with uh you know, some some of them some, you know, uh sometimes maybe the personalities might be a little strange. Mm-hmm. But uh it was pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, it was, you know, it was, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can't say what the best record, you know, I, I just, I remember certain things. I remember I did one take for certain things. I remember Reunited was one take. Uh, Got to Be Real was one take. You know, you remember stuff like that. Right, right. Um, you know, that was fun. I mean, I, as far as, as playing, you know, every night, I see, I tour with Bill with us. I don't right. think we grooved the whole time I toured with him. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't remember having a bad night. No, you know, as far as mu- bad night musically, right, right. You know, um, so it was, you know, I mean, you know, there was so many different, you know, it was a blessing to to make, you know, to make some of those records, the magic thing. Marvin Gaye was sure. great. Diana Ross, uh, the Temptations. Uh, I mean, there's so many people. I mean, people that wasn't at Motown, I did a lot of hits with. I'm just, you know, I mean, you know, Beck is fantastic, you know. Uh, right. Ellie L. King, uh, you know, just, it, it's, when I sit down and play, I, I it's, it's like going in the ring. I try to make a hit every time, you know. I try to put my right. whole, you know, heart and soul into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's a blessing. That's the way I look at it. Even nowadays, I mean, if I didn't, and I enjoy playing. If I didn't, then I wouldn't be doing it no more. Sure, you know, sure. And do you take a lot of time to to kind of reflect and look back at at all these records that you played on and kind of soak it in and and really, uh, you know, enjoy that? Uh, in a way, uh, you know. I mean, you know, through the years, the music. As the music moves a little bit and it changes to a degree. And so, you know, I've been playing a lot of blues lately at one time and, and some rock. So my style is a little different. I mean, I can still do the things that I did, but you know, you have different, different styles and different, different things. Uh, I look, listen to some of them and, you know, some of them, some of them I have a good time. Um, some of the stuff that I did, and I won't call no names. If I listen to it, I don't have a good time because it was a bad time for me. 
Right. You know. Right. And a lot of them were hits. But um, you mean bad time personally or personally? Yeah. Personally, okay. Uh, but you know, I'm just glad that um, you know, I did it. You know, and then you look at them and say, you know, I could have done that better. I sure, I sure sound sloppy on this and that and the other. You know, mm-hmm. so, doing the interview out here, doing the interview. Oh. So you know, <clears throat> I just I probably need to listen to some of the things sometime. Right. You know, so <laughs> I'm trying. I'm still learning, and st- right. you know, I'm still learning, and uh, you know, still trying to perfect certain things. I guess we never get perfect. Right. On, right. But, so do you think, you know, after the, after you went through the, the Motown stuff and did you just continually have to adapt for, for, for different things? How did you kind of approach that? Well, I knew that, uh, you know, when I first started there, I played a lot of, I mean, a lot of those sessions I did, I played the fours <clears throat> and I guess I played my own style because I thought I was playing the Motown style. Then on dancing machine. That was not like the four stuff or a lot of other stuff. The Jackson stuff that I did or a lot of the Temptation stuff. It was, you know, a lot of it was two and four stuff or like Dancing Machine or I, I wasn't reading that good at the time that we did that that song, that session. And so the introduction, bam, 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 bam. Well, he counted it off and I said, bam, bam. I said, doo 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 with my foot and everybody stopped. I knew I was fired that day. <laughs> You know, <laughs> they waited for about three minutes. And the guy said, "Hey, can you do that again?" Really? Yeah. So that was a blessing, you know. That happened. Right. and uh, I was so nervous when he got the bam 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 boom boom. I was putting the bam 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 bam. They had to stop and and and, and I had to relax because I was so shook up because you know here I am in in Motown. Right. You know, I'm in the, the cream of, uh, you know, I mean, uh, this is the top of the line. I'm doing, playing for the, the, the top people, you know. And how old are you? Huh? How old are you at the time? How old was I? I was about, about 27, something. Okay. So, you know, you, uh, you know, it's just life. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right, so, absolutely. Or like, so how I would mean, you got to how, be real. And Cheryl, 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 what other name is? She told me I should have played that. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so you know, you don't ever know. And right. then when I did, I did reunited one time, and I said, I, Freddie Parent, who was the producer, I said, Hey man, that's a hit. That's it. He said, Man, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your word for it. And it was a number one. There you, you know? go. So, I mean, it felt so good that day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How many number ones have you been on? I don't know. I, I never lost count. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I've been on a lot of number one, yeah. not a lot of, a lot of, not a lot of, not a lot of, well, I'm kind of number one pop, but a lot of number one R and B's. I've been on some number one pops too, but you know. Right. 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 So how would, so if you had some advice to give for younger guys that are, that are coming up now, um, you know, that want to do session work and, and want to do touring work, um, what advice would you have for them? I tell them to, to try to learn all the different styles of the music business, everything. The stuff you don't even like, try to learn that, especially if you want to be a session drummer. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
your personality counts a lot. You know, you got to try to get along with everybody and try right. to play with the band instead of being a star. Don't go in there and try to star. Play as fast as if you're doing, uh, you know, making the record. You know, live right. is a little different. It's got a little more edge to it and all that. I did. I, I haven't done as much, near as much library uh, playing as I did, you know, making records. Mm-hmm. And relax. You know, the best thing to do is relax. You know, if you got to go to the bathroom or whatever you got to do, you get ready to do the session, be relaxed and ready to, to listen to everything that goes down because you never know what's going to go down when you're in the studio. You know, right. you never know. And what about working on, on feel? How do you, do you think that comes from learning all these styles and kind of incorporating them? Yeah, I think them, if or? you listen to different people and, 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 and figure out how they feel, you know, it's a feel for everything. You know, I mean, the classical stuff is, has a certain feel. I mean, you hear those dynamics and those different people when they wrote that it's feel, you know, feel is feel. Um, try to incorporate, you know, if you've been trying to put yourself into a, you know, you can tell whatever instrumental person's playing, a violin, a saxophone, drum, you can feel their presence in this instrument. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's what I right. think that works for a lot of, you know, that's what people feel that. You know, human, mm-hmm. humans. You know, that's why a lot of times when they uh, doing all this uh, program, it lasts maybe a year or two. You hear it next year and it's old. You know, the sounds are different, and the feel. Right. You know, you listen. It ain't. You know, people say, "Oh man, this this ain't." You know, they're trying to get they're trying to get more humanized within everything that they're doing now, and they're using a, right. they're using tape a lot of times too. You know, they use it to, to warm it up, to try to warm it, the stuff up again. And, you know, so it's all just try to be the best you can be. Try to learn all the different styles of the music and try to get along with everybody, you know, right. because you never know what's going to happen. Sure. And, um, sure. You know, that's, you know, just. And practice. Now, do you, you think it was. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you think that that was that was your biggest. um you know, your biggest attribute, your, your feel and, and the way that you got along with people. Do you think that's why you got hired? Because I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, there's a producer can pick 10 guys that can, that are all amazing. But if they're, you know, if, if nobody likes them and, you know, they don't have good feel or they're not, they're not cool in the studio or something like that, it's less likely that these people get hired. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess, I mean, you know, the way that I would make it feel, probably had a lot to do with it, you know, and the timing, mm-hmm. time, timing, you know, there are a lot of times I have to go in and do stuff that that's not in time that I have to try to make it feel right. Right. You know, so it's, it's about a lot of things. You know. Cool. You know, and one last question. So any mistakes that you can, uh, that you can tell some up and coming drummers to, to avoid being late to a session, mm-hmm. uh, advice given only when asked to give it. Because a lot of times you can go in the studio and you can be telling the producer what you think it should be. Right. And he's got, uh, he's got in mind a whole nother thing. And you might not come, you, you won't be back there. You know, right, right. You know, and, and and your equipment. Make sure your equipment is 
is, you know, try to keep your equipment together. So when you're going there, you know, your stuff. I mean, I went in, I was in the studio the other day and took a snare in, man, and I got to fix that snare. And I'm glad we're talking. I heard the screw <laughs> in the bottom of it popping. You know, I thought that was awful, which was awful. Right. You know, right. So, you know, you got to keep, you know, keep your stuff together. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a business. Yeah, it's absolutely. Tal- it's, it's, it's a talent, but it's a business. Right. So it's all about, you know, everything. You gotta, even though you can, you can play really well, but if, if you're not a good businessman and you're not, you know, on top of your business, then, uh, then well, you I, I would advise all musicians to try to be on top of the business thing because you will get taken advantage of. Sure. It's not, you might, it's, it's you will get taken advantage. You will. Absolutely. That is excellent advice. Excellent I, advice. I, I got some things coming out in the book. I can't speak about them now, but you know, they get, and you know, what's, <laughs> when's that book coming out? Well, I'm still working on it, you know, okay. hopefully next year. All right. Do you have a title for it yet? or Behind These Sticks. Behind These Sticks? Yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to uh, to check that out once it comes out. And once it's out, we'll have to have you have you back on the show. Oh, we can, that would be yeah. so wonderful. Yeah, we can talk about the book and and uh, chat, more, chat more about music. Right. James, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. And uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. There you have it. The one, the only, the legendary James Gadson. And you can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 637 and again thank you so much for being part of this podcast thank you for helping us get to eight years it's crazy that that we did this or i started this eight years ago and how far we've come with the with the help of of Catherine, who does all the graphic design work justin who does all of the editing on the podcast and tomas who does all the video editing I appreciate them so much. I could never do this podcast without them, and I can never do this podcast without you, the listener, listening, supporting it, sharing it, and letting people know about this podcast. So I thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me, edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. La, 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 la.